plan to begin a new series on Colossians. It's only four short chapters. And uh, the first two chapters are more the teaching of Christ is all we need in life. If we have Christ, you have everything. If you you don't have Christ, you have nothing, ultimately. And um, we're going to see the the teaching of that in Colossians 1 and 2, and then 3 and 4, the practical part as it relates to to our work, to our family, to our marriages, to our, uh, just our daily life. So, um, it's also nice because we, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ last Sunday, and from there, we can celebrate the fact that he's King and Lord today. So it basically leads up to the ascension. So we can celebrate his ascension, his kingship, in the coming weeks as well. But our focus is going to be on the opening two verses and you say well we tend to just kind of read over them quickly because almost every epistle begins with um, an address a salutation that looks very similar but yeah each one is a little bit different and so we want to focus on those first two verses today so i'd like to begin by just reading 1 through 14 1 1 through 14 and um, we'll read Uh, Well, we'll focus on verses 1 and 2. Colossians. So this is to the church in Colossae. So it's a a place, a city that was not so far from Ephesus. In uh, what today is known as Turkey. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as is also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it's also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of his Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So we're going to focus just on the, um, the first part today. Verses 1 and 2, sort of like the introduction to the book, but it's also very highly um, glorious because it's Christ himself talking to us. Uh, It's his letter. It's his letter to us as well today. Verses 1 and 2, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, last Sunday we heard that uh, Christ is risen, indeed. He's risen from the dead and is 
just as he said, just as he had spoken. And you know, it's, and it's no different today, his enemies try so hard to bury Christ and to keep him buried. You saw that back then too, by, by moving a huge stone in front of the mouth of the grave, putting a seal over it, putting a guard by it, or guards. And do they really think, do they really think that the sovereign power of the Son of God who came for our redemption, do they really think that their little, tiny, puny, paltry plans can succeed? Not at all. The Bible says God frustrates. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. Wow, we have a God in whom we can trust and he will carry out his plans and no one can frustrate those plans. And then you see the angel rolling the stone away as if he just kicks it away like a child's ball. And the schemes, the schemes of the powerful of the world, really they come to nothing before God's sovereign might. Think of those words again in Psalm 68, verse 1. Let God arise and let his enemies flee. Let him be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. The tomb is empty. The risen Lord Jesus Christ appears. And the first people he appeared to was to the women. And they're his first witnesses. And then he appears to his disciples on Galilee. He commissions them. Now you go. You know, you have my power. You have my, under my authority. You go into all the world. And you make disciples of all nations. It's something that our country doesn't want to hear today. Right? They're trying to shut down the, the good news. And yet, Christ's promise, his plan will prevail. And that call to repentance of sins Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations of the world. You know what's so amazing? Is this simply through words? Simply through the words, through the preaching of Christ crucified and risen? <laughs> no weapons, just the word. You see Christ popping up churches all around the world. They're being raised from the spiritually dead to life. Uh, that, that in itself is the, the power of the resurrection at work in the lives of people and how Christ is gathering a community, a community chosen for eternal life, a community united in true faith. The borders of Iran cannot stop it. The dungeons, the prisons in China, neither can they put a stop to it. And even Bill C-11 in Canada, the censorship bill that they want to impose on internet and YouTube, that's not going to stop Christ from fulfilling his plan. And that's why we can go forward in confidence. And this is the same Christ, only 30 years later, after his resurrection, who speaks now to the church of Colossa. So let's suppose, I, I believe it's around... 30 A.D., that Christ arose from the dead, 30, 33. And now Paul is writing in 62, 63 A.D. to this little church. It's a, a visible display, a visible 
uh, power of, of Christ at work in the hearts of lives and he resurrects this little church in this small town of Colossa. And who do they live among? They live among people that don't love Christ. They live among people who are speaking against Christ, trying to shut down Christ. Um, they live among Jews who also integrated in that community, in that little town. And it's really clear here that um, Christ here is the head of the church. He's not only Lord over Colossa, but he's the head of the church, and he will lead, and he will guide. And it's likely not Paul that preached there. It seems like it was Epaphras. Right? Epaphras, he was one of Paul's fellow workers, a servant of Christ. The Lord used him, used his preaching, to resurrect a, that little church in Colossae. So from prison, where's Paul? He's in prison. And we know that from Colossians 4, verse 3 and verse 18. He talks about himself being in chains. But not even that can stop Christ from doing his work. Paul's in prison. And yet through uh, the Apostle Paul, Christ sends a letter. A letter to the church in Colossae. But it's also his letter for you. It's his letter for us as a church. Um, it's not just for Colossae on that day, but it was written, it's in the scripture, as a letter for us as well. And so that's what I want to focus on is verses 1 and 2. This letter from Christ, the King of all nations, you're privileged to have this letter written, spoken. And you know three things here. This Christ, this exalted Christ, he presents himself to us. He presents himself to the church. And then he, second of all, we see he addresses the church. And then third, he salutes her. Uh, what a beautiful, beautiful beginning. What a beautiful address to the church here that we see. But we're going to first of all see he presents himself to her. And it's not that he's there in person. Of course, he's at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But he's living, he's reigning. But he comes through his apostle, Paul. See verse 1? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Now, I think about it. Think about boys and girls. If you write someone a letter today, where do you put your name? You put yours on top? Or sometimes when you write a letter, you put it at the sincerely bunch, right? You usually put your name at the end. Sincerely Grace or sincerely Bob. But in those days, in the days of Paul, they would always put, maybe like Wanch does to now too, but always put the letter or their name at the very beginning. And that was the mode of writing in those days. Your name that you were, those to whom you were addressing, you would put your name. The writer would put his name at the very beginning. That's the one thing we should see from here. The other thing we should see here is, you know, 
you think about it, and sometimes I don't think we reflect on this enough. Um, and that is, if our church received a, a formal letter from King Charles of England addressing us and saluting us, I think we might feel a pinch embarrassed. <laughs> we might blush a little. And we might say, well, why? Why us? Well, why would the King of England write to us? Who are we? Well, here you have a much greater king. Never mind King Charles. He's subject to the King of Kings. Right? And the King of Kings, Christ, he's the one. Right? Jesus the Christ is Jesus the King. He writes the letter. And notice that he writes it through an apostle. What's the word apostle mean? Apostle literally means sent one. When you think of a king, when he sends out his ambassadors, his ambassadors represent him, and they speak what the king says. As likewise with Apostle Paul. He does not come simply as, hello, I'm Paul, I'm, I'm coming to you with a private message. No, he's coming with a public message. Not only with a public message, but he's coming on behalf of Christ. Right? You see that? An apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul is just the channel. You know, a lot of people made fun of Paul because of his quirks. Never mind that. But Christ is speaking through the Apostle Paul. And he sent. Paul was sent on behalf of the king of his kingdom. And the king of his kingdom intends to go out into all the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ on a conquest. And that's the one who comes to this church in Colossae. Like ambassadors today, Paul is sent on the king's behalf to do what he says. And the one who is sent today, it's pastors, ministers of the gospel, they should never say a word less. They should never say a word more. They must represent the king of kings and the Lord of lords and say what he says. That's why it's a tremendous responsibility. And like the Bereans, you can make sure that what the pastor is saying is according to the word of God. So, so, so important. At any rate, it's through Paul, Jesus presents himself to the church. And he comes with his letter. You're special. You're privileged to receive that letter from him. And this king, this king is the one who is also the savior of the sins of all those who believe on him. You know, before this king, right? Christ washes us through his blood. We need not cower. We need not be afraid. We need not blush. We need not feel the pinch of embarrassment. His death has wiped out the punishment of sin that stood against us, as Colossians 2.14. And his resurrection from the dead secures, secures the full hope of eternal salvation. That is the confidence that Christ wants us to have as he comes and presents himself to him. Not a confidence in ourselves, 
but a confidence in him. He brought the evil plans. Remember the evil plans, the cowardly plans of that persecutor Saul? Remember how Paul, who was Saul before, went out to try to kill the church? He tried so hard. And Christ brought it to nothing. He stopped him dead in his tracks. Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And from that instant, God changed him. Christ changed him. And he says, now, you're my chosen vessel. And you're going to go out and bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. You think of that privileged position before kings, before prime ministers, before authorities. Because they're under the king of kings and lord of lords. And no one, no one, no prime minister, no president can foil, can frustrate the plans of God. That's why we can stand firm in him, firm in Christ. Because he has already defeated the enemy and we go forward in faith. Notice this. Nothing can frustrate. How do we know that? Because you look at the next phrase. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. <laughs> okay? Um, the point here is God is going to advance his plan. He's going to advance his will, his plan of salvation throughout the world through the preaching of the gospel and he will continue his conquest through preachers, through the church, and your witness bearing to others. Paul, the 11 apostles, the church today. Notice how Paul speaks in Colossians 1.23. He speaks of the hope of the gospel. Not just, I hope it happens, but the sure, the solid hope of the gospel. Preached to every creature under heaven. Of which I, Paul, became a minister. And then Paul says, yeah, and I can't forget the person that God put alongside of me, Timothy. Now, Timothy is not an apostle. Paul, or Timothy was a pastor. Epaphras was a pastor. What's the difference? Well, an apostle, along with the other 11 disciples, they're the ones who are eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. They are the apostles. Okay? Today we have no apostles. That office is ceased. But that continues today in the form of pastors and ministers. Timothy was a fellow brother, right? He's a fellow pastor. He was to preach the epistles that God had written through the Apostle Paul. He was to, uh, to preach them, just as Epaphras was to preach that, the same epistles, the same word of God to the congregation of, uh, of Colossae. Anyway, he had a, a, a close bond with Timothy. He saw him as a fellow brother. And so through the Apostle Paul then, King Jesus, I think that's a very good title to keep on saying about Jesus, that he's the king, he's the Lord. He presents himself to the church in the glory and the majesty of who he is, the risen and, resurrect, the risen and ascended Lord. And he addresses her in verse 2. He presents himself, and then he addresses her with such elegance. You know what he calls the church? You know these sinners that God has gathered in his grace who were dead in their sins? 
raising them to life, he calls them saints. To the saints and the faithful brethren. Brethren also includes sistren. Brothers and sisters. It includes both. To the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Jesus is not flattering them. We sometimes flatter people in order to gain a hearing. But these words are, um, you could say these words are qualifications that Christ himself earned for them. This is the status that he has bestowed on the congregation. But it's not something that they did. It's something that he earned for them through his death on the cross and by rising from the dead. Saints and faithful brothers and sisters. Christ is not stroking their ego. He's speaking forthrightly. He's speaking honestly. This is who you are, saints and brothers. And notice two things about it. They are faithful, they are saints and faithful brothers in whom? In Christ, first of all, but also in Colossa. It's only Christians who have who live in two different places. Right? Outside of Christianity, people only live in one place. They live in this world. But only believers have this tension within them. This tension of living in Christ on one hand, you see that in verse 2, and living in Brampton on the other, or Toronto or Woodbridge or wherever that may be. Right? Either in Christ or in Colossa. But let's look at that briefly. In Christ. This is your identity, Jesus says. Faithful brethren, saints in Christ. I think of Zephaniah 3.17. Christ having won all things for his people. He's the Lord God in your midst. The mighty one who sees. Who rejoices over you with gladness. He quiets you with his love. He rejoices over you with singing. It's his conquest that he has made us saints and brothers. Now, they're not two different groups. We have to understand that here. It's not that some are saints and some are faithful brothers. What he's saying here is saints, that is, faithful brothers and sisters. What is a saint here? Saint literally means ones who are set apart. They're set-apart ones. This the apostle is set-apart. So saints are the set-apart ones. It's through faith in Jesus, by believing in Jesus, and through baptism, that saints are set-apart, set-apart from the world to Christ, or for Christ. It's not up to a man-made organization to say whether one is a saint or not. It's not up to a church to declare whether one person is a saint or not. Those are all lies. But all who trust in Christ Jesus for their salvation, all who believe on him, he calls saints. Now, beautiful title, beautiful status. The highest status you could ever have in the world is to be called a saint in Christ Jesus. And that comes through faith. Now, does that mean saints don't sin anymore? Oh, we struggle with sins, don't we? 
This does not mean saints are without perfect imperfections. They have lots of imperfections, lots of stains, lots of sins. But the difference is they're forgiven sinners. Forgiven sinners who are saints. Saints are those who come... Who are saints? Saints are those who come face to face with their own sin. And having come face to face with their own sin, they repent from it. And they turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness of their sins and want to serve him as Lord and King in their lives. We're going to sing at the end of the service, By the Sea of Crystal, Saints in Glory Stand, Myriads in number, drawn from every land, robed in white apparel, washed in Jesus' blood. They now reign in heaven with the Lamb of God. It has nothing about us being worthy to be a saint. We have to understand that. It has everything with Christ being worthy. He's the one who, through his grace, calls you saints. What a, what a privilege. You are highly privileged. Hey? Oh no, you know saints? Saints are, you know who the saints are? All those who trust in Jesus. Yeah. If you trust in Jesus and believe that he's forgiven your sins, then you are a saint, right? That's, that's how the Bible sees it, yeah. That's what the Bible says. Very good question. Okay, so notice that. So in Christ, that's the, that's the one status. Right? This is your new identity in Christ. But you know what? In Clossa, in Brampton, <laughs> we're here in Brampton right now, in Brampton, you're also saints and faithful brothers and sisters. You live in two locations. Um, you live in Christ, and at the same time you live in Colossa or in Brampton. Okay? So saints... What? We have union in Christ and his death, resurrection, ascension. As Ephesians 2 says, we're now seated with Christ in the heavenly places. At the same time, yeah, we live on earth here. We live in our cities. The church here is in Brampton. Okay? Saints, real flesh and blood saints. That's, that's us. You have real flesh, you have real blood you have real issues. You have real battles that you face. Hard things, hard knocks. Battles against sin. Battles against Satan. Sometimes we can feel weary from it. And you know, that's the, uh, the, the, attention, that's the tension. This explains the tension in the Christian life, right? We're in Christ, but we're still in Brampton. And there's that tension right? Um, real weaknesses we have, real sins we face, real shortcomings. And in Colossa 2, in Colossa, Paul says to the believers there, he says, you know, it's easy for you to fall. It's easy. You know, in our, in our own strength, if we try to live in our own strength, it's easy to fall. He warns of the danger of falling back into the old life, Right? In, verse, in chapter 3. In chapter 2, he tells her to be, be careful lest anyone to cheat you through, through philosophy and empty deceit. In other words, those things that are not according to Christ. We know in our culture today, there's a lot of lies. 
lot of misinformation. And we need to not be robbed by their philosophies, but we are to think according to Christ. We are in Christ. <laughs> and that means in Brampton, we stand for the truth. We fight for the truth. We have victory through Christ who is the truth. We never need doubt that. So yeah, being in Christ, the one who conquered the power of sin, death, and hell, we may confidently serve Christ. You know, confidently serve Him in truth. In raising our families, the world will tell you one thing. Christ tells you another. Right? In working in our jobs, in our workplaces, we are there representing Christ. We are saints in the workplace. Call to bear witness to him. 24-7, every day. And then every Sunday again, he comes to us, speaking to us. Right? And every day as we read his word. Saints are not, um, saints are not in a museum. Okay? Saints are not painted on windows. Those are not saints. But saints are real, living, flesh, blood believers facing sin, facing hard things, fighting the battles in the name of Christ in Brampton. Christ through Paul writes this letter with one great desire. And you notice we are kept by him. Notice that he's, we don't have to we don't have to worry about, am I going to lose my faith? Am I going to lose my status? No, we're kept by him through faith in him. And that's why this letter, in this letter, Paul is going to show how we can grow more and more in our Christian maturity in Christ. And in that late, his greeting should also be understood. And that brings us to the last part of verse 2, his greeting to us, his salute. He salutes us. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What does he pronounce on the saints and those who are faithful brethren? He pronounces two blessings. Grace and peace. It's almost like you say Christ raising his hand. Grace, peace. You need the grace. <laughs> Don't we not? And you need the peace. You know, we live in a society where God is removing the restraints of all evil and is unleashing itself in our society. That's the opposite of grace. But what does grace see? Grace sees that what we have is totally undeserved. We deserve the opposite. But grace sees our Christian life and growth. That comes from the free gift of God. Not because we deserve it, is something that he gives to us when we believe on him. And this peace, <clears throat> the peace follows, right? If grace is the source, peace is the result. What is this peace? This peace is not only peace of mind and heart, that is, certainly includes that, but this peace is all the blessings that God, come to God's covenant family, right? Love, joy, life, Assurance. And his purpose in this letter is that by grace you may grow in that rich and mature peace. Let the peace of Christ, we're going to see that in Colossians 3 to 15 
somewhat later. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That's the, the prayer of Paul here. And we see then, okay, he counseled those twofold blessing, grace and peace. And that comes from whom? The fountain. And who's the fountain? God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. No one mightier than they in the world. These two blessings flow down from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, every time we come together as a congregation for worship, to hear Christ, he salutes us at the very beginning of worship. That's why we stand. We stand. We hear his call. He speaks. He graciously welcomes us into his presence. And he says, grace, peace to you. We don't do it so with heads down, but we respectfully look at him in the face. Not, not the pastor, but by faith, looking towards Christ, the victorious risen one. And with these words, Christ the Apostle Paul writes his letter to us. What's the main message? And this is where we're going to conclude. The main message is all you need in this life and life hereafter is Christ. Christ is the all-sufficient one. Lose everything else, you have him. But to have him is to have everything. You are rich. Please understand that. You are rich in Christ. Having that dignity given to you through faith in him. And if you were to say, well, what's the key verse in the book of Colossians? It's 2 verses 9 and 10. If you look at Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him, that means in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then it says, and you are complete in him. If you have him, your completeness is in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Christ is all sufficient. He is all we need. And if we are to personally benefit, what do we need to do? We must personally appropriate. We must personally appropriate what we have in faith, what we have in him by faith alone. It comes by faith alone, by trusting in Christ alone. And then we see the Spirit then applying it to our lives. There's a freedom in that. There's a joy in that. And then the scares of the world are put in their place because we have the one who has conquered it. Yes, we live in a scary world. But you know what? The main call is be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful in your families. Be faithful in your work. Be faithful as members in Christ's body. We will be drawn, therefore, when we trust in Christ, to give him first place. The first place that's due him in all our considerations and everything we think and do. You see that in Colossians 3.17. We'll get to that later too. But we may also look at this epistle in light of 2 verses 9 and 10. If that's the main theme, you could break this epistle into three parts. The first part, Christ explains his, self, his, his all-sufficiency. You see that in the first part, verses 3 to 2 verse 7. 
that's first explained there, is sadly denied by the world. You see that in 2 verses 8 through 3 verse 4. And finally, his all-sufficiency is experienced in the heart of the believer, in the life of the believer, in our personal life, in our family, and in our work. <clears throat> this is Christ's letter to you and me. You know what? I encourage you to take the time to read it. Take the time to read the book of Colossians in one sitting. And after you've done it in one sitting, do it again a second time. And more importantly, may we hear him, may we discover his fullness, so that we ourselves may grow in our obedience to him, and our joy in him, and our life in him, even as he speaks to us through this letter. Amen.